Our text this morning in the King James reads this way. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Moffat translates it, I did the planting, Apollos did the watering, but it was God who made the seed grow. Now, whichever one of those translations you read it from, this text in Paul's first Corinthian letter is an explanation. Because Paul is giving a reason for the miracle that's taking place at that very moment in time. Because you see, this hard pagan world is being changed forever. Age-old abuses are beginning to vanish. It's just like that old song, you know, though April showers may come your way, they bring the flowers that grow in May. You, you, somebody please say, besides me, you remember that. This means yes, this means no. Well, just like April showers bring May flowers, Paul is witnessing a spiritual springtime. And it's with that spiritual springtime, with that change that's taking place, Paul is telling folks how it came to be. He said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. You see, quite naturally, the apostle turns his face and he turns his attention toward God. Because these beautiful changes taking place in the world can only be accounted for in terms of God's goodness and God's power. But while God is the beginning of the explanation, God is not the entire explanation. Now, there is no doubt that God has been the prime mover and the driving force in bringing about these results. But God has not done it alone. God has enlisted the help of man in changing the world. God has cooperated with mankind, and mankind has cooperated with God. Mankind has in turn cooperated with its brothers and its sisters, and that explains the miracle. Write this down. It's on the final exam. If you and I are to make a success of living... It is absolutely necessary that we understand and recognize this mutual dependence. God is dependent upon man. Now, now I know we're accustomed to thinking of God as being omnipotent. God is all-powerful, and He is. But God is so powerful that God was willing to renounce some bit of His power. God did that when He chose to create man as a free moral agent. When God gave to me and to you the power of choice, God renounced His power to control us without our consent. And so, with the power of choice that God has given us in our humanity, 
We have the choice of rising to the heights or we have the choice of sinking to the very depths of degradation. And if we select the wrong road in life, folks, God makes the choice not to prevent it. God is dependent upon man in the realm of things physical. God is the creator of this world, no doubt about that. God is the architect and the builder, and He gave it to man. But when God gave this world to man, it was not a finished product. You see, though God is the creator of all things, God has never cleared a single forest. God has never planted a single garden. God has never sown or harvested a single crop of wheat. But, without God's help, no harvest would ever be possible. God waits for the cooperation of man before God gives a harvest. (coughs) Pardon me. Whether it's the raising of an ear of corn, or Bell inventing the telephone, Edison inventing the light bulb, or Al Gore inventing the internet, God has to wait on the cooperation of man. And God does this also in regard to our physical bodies. When the baby has come, God is still dependent upon us for its care. And if we refuse to play our part, the baby will die. But if we cooperate with God and if we work with God, that baby will live and grow. I believe that God in His providence also has a plan for our lives. Do you recall when Jeremiah went down to the potter's house? He saw that day at the potter's house in the potter's hand a bit of formless plastic clay. Just a wad of clay. But there was a place where that formless bit of plastic clay was a thing of beauty. And that was in the mind of the potter. Folks, the divine potter God has a dream for every one of us. But whether that dream becomes a reality or not, it depends upon how well we work with God. God can never make one single bad man or bad woman into a good man or a good woman, except for their choice and the grace of God. But the choice of that man or woman must come first. And as it is with an individual, it's that same way with the group. Think, if you will, what a Splendid dream God has for His church. It was so expensive. 
It cost God so much. The blood of His only Son. And God said it was to be a glorious church. Having not spot or blemish or any such thing. It's to be a church that's glorious in its purity. And God's dream is for His church to go forth conquering and to conquer. But the church can only achieve God's high hope with our help. God is dependent upon mankind. God's dependent upon me and you for what God accomplishes in this world. God seeks a brotherly world. A world where folks live and they live together and they delight themselves in the abundance of peace. But God is dependent upon us for that to become a reality. But mankind, men and women, are also dependent upon God. And here again, that dependence is quite complete. Because it includes our physical needs. We cannot pray as Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. We can't pray that with intensity and with fervor and passion if our bank account has a large enough balance in it. But we cannot, without the help of God, no matter how large our bank account is, we can't procure a single crust of bread without God. We must lean on God for the bread of life and for the water of life. Because God has all the life there is. And we can do Nothing without God. We are absolutely dependent upon God. But then God is dependent upon man and man is dependent upon God. But you and I are dependent upon each other. Of all the mythological characters you have ever read about, there is nothing more mythological than the idea of the self-made man. That rugged individual that says, well, I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman, they were once a newborn baby. And for years after coming into this world were the most helpless of God's creatures. Because this person that says, well, I'm a self-made man once upon a time was dependent upon others for the school he attended and the books that he read. Was dependent upon others for the nation of which they were a part. No individual on the top side of God's green earth today, man or woman, is a completely self-made individual. That's true in the home, folks. The home can be the most heavenly place on earth. It can also be the most hellish. Because you see, it's in the home where different personalities are brought into the closest contact. 
And because that contact is so close, if those personalities clash with each other, it may mean hell. And if they cooperate with each other, it may mean heaven. It's also true in the church. How often do folks blame the preacher for whatever might be wrong in the church? Now, admittedly, it's a weighty responsibility. But no preacher can build a church by himself. The pulpit is dependent upon the pew. And the pew is dependent upon the pulpit. Any preacher can cheat the people and disappoint their expectations. His personal life or his sermon preparation can be so shoddy that hungry souls end up not being fed. And by that, he may fail them. And it's a tragedy if that happens. But members of the church can fail the preacher. And they can fail each other also. No worship service can ever succeed except through the cooperation of everyone that's present. Every worshiper must bring a spirit to worship that makes it easy for the person sitting next to him or her to worship God. Because we can bring a spirit that causes those sitting next to us and those around us to miss all sense of God and go away unhelped. Or we can bring a spirit that makes it easy for someone sitting near to us to say, Surely God is in this place. In the church, we're dependent upon each other. So what do we do? What do we do with this fact of mutual dependence? We should do what God does. Realizing His dependence upon man, God is forever offering Himself to man. God is forever seeking the cooperation of mankind. We don't have to try to force God to work with us. God is always searching for that man or that woman that's willing to work with Him. God stands ready. And God's willing, inviting us and offering us an opportunity to work with Him. And as God offers Himself to us, we are to offer ourselves to God. Remember what Paul wrote to the church at Rome in chapter 12? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, 
which is your spiritual service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We must give ourselves in loyalty to God. And we must give ourselves in loyalty to one another. Like it or not, folks, we are bound up in this bundle of life with each other. And when we fail to realize that we're bound up in this bundle of life with each other, and we act that way, somebody gets hurt. Over the years, the last 48 of them to be exact, I've had probably every excuse in the book given to me by someone as, well, why I don't want to be a part of the church. And I've heard many, many times, well, there's no reason for me to be a a part of the church. I can be just as good outside the church as I am in the church. And I will concede that that is perhaps a true statement. But I challenge you to search through this book. The New Testament does not know any such animal as a solitary Christian. The New Testament does not know any such thing as church membership at large. And so if one is to be a Christian at all, they have to be a Christian in fellowship with other Christians. Now, obviously, None of us can do everything. What did Paul say in our text? I planted. Apollos watered. God made the seed grow. We can help to plant and we can help to cultivate. We can perform the duty that lies closest to us. We can give ourselves wholeheartedly to whatever the task at hand might be. Paul, as great as he was, Paul did not believe that he could save the world by himself. Paul did believe that in cooperation with God and in cooperation with other Christians he could. He could not do every man's work, but he could do his own work. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 4. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 in the King James. Here's that same passage in the contemporary English version. Christ chose some of us to be apostles, prophets, missionaries, preachers, and teachers, so that His people could learn to serve and His body would grow strong. All that God is asking of us, all that God is asking of you and me in our day and time in 2017, is that each of us stand in our own place and that each of us do our own work as God gave us that work to do. You know, I remember many years ago, 
when I was a little boy. My grandmother worked for Sears Roebuck. That's how long ago it was. And she was in the catalog sales department, and they would have sales contests. And all their salespeople would be given a quota. And if they got their quote, made their quota, they were given prize money in silver dollars. I still have some of those silver dollars my grandmother gave me because she got her quota. Well, God hasn't given us a quota. We're not here to preach a certain number of sermons or teach a certain number of classes or lead a certain number of souls to Jesus Christ and reach our quota that God has set for us. Our mission is to perform our task in the fellowship of God and leave the results in the hands of God. When we reduce it to bookkeeping and scorekeeping and quotas, folks, we get in all kinds of trouble. Remember once upon a time, Elijah tried to sum up the results of his ministry. And we're going to talk about Elijah a little bit tonight when we talk about overcoming frustration. But Elijah tried to sum up all the results of his ministry as God's prophet. And having added up all of his accomplishments, he found they were just an even zero. And because he was so... Heartbroken over his seeming failure, Elijah just wanted to die. Here's what he said. He said, The children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars. They've slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. That's how depressed he was. God said, Elijah, there are 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There are 7,000. Still loyal to me, Elijah. And better than that, God showed Elijah something else. God showed Elijah that counting results was not Elijah's business. Elijah's job was to do his own work in reliance upon the Lord and leave the results with heaven. Maybe you've taught a Sunday school class faithfully for years. And maybe little has seemed to come of that. Or maybe like so many of our teachers, and God bless their hearts, and I thank God every day for them. Like our teachers, so often you faithfully come every Lord's Day. You've reported for duty. You're prepared to teach. And maybe that Sunday there are no pupils. And yet the next Lord's Day, you report for duty ready to teach, week in and week out. God bless you. And we love you for your work. Or maybe you've been a faithful Christian with no particular task and no particular duty. Whatever your role in God's family is, maybe sometimes you feel like that it's insignificant and you're lost and your labor's in vain. You sometimes question your faith. You, you question if it matters. Does it even matter if I keep my face forward or whether I quit? If you're sometimes bothered by those kinds of questions, 
There's something to remember. Are you listening? God is not asking you for certain results. God is only asking that we do our duty. God is only asking that all of us do our own work in our own way that we are able to do. Paul sowed the seed and he left the results with God. So can you. So can I. God has promised His Word will not come and return unto Him void. The secret is just this. I planted. Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. Paul said, I did the planting. Apollos came along and turned on the sprinkler system. But it was God that made the seed grow. Now, what's the need of your life this morning? Is to begin your walk with Jesus by becoming a Christian for the very first time? By in simple trusting faith and confessing the name of Christ, repenting of sin and being buried in the waters of baptism? If that's the need of your life, then we want you to do that. Or maybe you've done that, but you haven't lived God's kind of life, God's kind of way and need to come back home. If we can assist you living God's kind of life and being obedient to God, it's His invitation as we stand while we sing.